As we look into God's word, I, I had this uh, image, this thought in my mind that sometimes I need some help f- focusing and I need some help so I can like see the distance, see what God's got out there for the promises for me and for us. And so um, it reminded me of these nice binoculars that my family got me, I think for Father's Day this year, because um, when I sit out on my patio, I hear these different birds up in the trees and they are very tiny because my trees are very tall. And so they said, let's get him some binoculars so he can actually look through there and see right up close. So sometimes you guys look very far away and very tiny, but I can see you very close this morning. So behave yourselves during church. (laughs) The reason why I wanted to use that illustration was because the name of my sermon is Fix My Eyes, Jesus. Fix My Eyes. It's a little prayer. Fix My Eyes. And we're not talking about the physical eyes. Although some of us may have a need for prayer for our physical eyes. We're talking about the spiritual eyes that God has given us to be able to see by faith and not to judge everything by sight, by what we think, how we feel, what we ascertain about the situation. But God's word helps us to fix our eyes. And this morning in the passage, we are... Finally, moving out of Hebrews chapter 11. You know, we could have stayed in Hebrews chapter 11 for a very, very, very long time because of all those Old Testament stories that are fresh in the minds of the Hebrews, but maybe a little bit, got some cobwebs on them uh, in our minds. Uh, so please read, read your Old Testament, read the, the book of Judges, read some of these amazing stories about the heroes of our faith so that your faith is increased. I can't encourage that uh, enough for you. But we're going to move into Hebrews chapter 12. And I want you to listen again to these words. Hebrews chapter 12 starts with the word therefore. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run the race with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Verse two, let us fix our eyes On Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and then sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him or think about him. He who endured such opposition from sinful men like you and I, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart or give up. These words are important for us to understand and to focus on and to ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten our spiritual eyes this morning. So let's pray and ask him to do that. Father God, we've acknowledged your presence here with us. We thank you so much for your grace that you would come to us. We praise you for your spirit that guides us and teaches us and helps us. Open up our eyes. Help us to see clearly what you have for us here today. We trust in your goodness and your faithfulness as we've been singing about. You are so good. Pour out your blessing on us this morning, we pray. Amen. So this passage starts with the word therefore, right? And remember, the whole book of Hebrews has a theme to it. It's a theme that the the preacher was bringing to this group of of believers 
first century believers who had been Jews and now had heard the message of the gospel and were walking in faith in Jesus Christ. And he's warning them again and again to not grow weary. Don't give up. Don't give up. So Hebrews is, the the overall theme is don't give up. Keep going. Keep your eyes fixed on, on the heroes of our faith and on Christ himself as our ultimate hero. Be encouraged. And so I hope this morning you'll be encouraged as God does his work. But the word therefore is there because we just came out of chapter 11. And chapter 11 was all about the Old Testament people. Because the New Testament hadn't been written yet. The Old Testament people who were the examples of living by faith. Not just having faith like something in a box that you put on a shelf in your closet and forget about. Living by faith. Living in faith. Living according to faith. Living daily with with your faith in mind. Let us run this race with endurance. So guess what? It's not a 100-yard dash. It's a marathon. It might be an ultimate marathon. You know, it's ultimate marathons now. People don't just run, you know, on tracks or whatever. They run through forests and up mountains and across icy lakes. And they just go and go and go. They are enduring the race. We need to be like that because we don't know sometimes how difficult it can be. God knows your difficulty. God knows what part of the race you're in. God knows whether you're going up a really steep hill or down or a really easy hill right now. But God brings us all together to be encouraged by his spirit this morning. These witnesses encourage us. These Old Testament stories encourage us because they testify to us from the pages of God's word, which can be trusted, that God is faithful. God is faithful. In fact, in in chapter 11, Abram, it says, Abram considered him, God, faithful who made these promises. So these ancient believers proved to us that God can be trusted. So often we get fearful and we let anxiety come in and doubt and we begin to wonder, is God really on my side? Does God really see me? Does God really care about this situation? Now people hear this loud and clear. God can be trusted. You can put all of your weight on God and he will not fail you. God is faithful like the hymn says. Great is his faithfulness. It never fails us. You need to be encouraged in this. Now this race imagery in these verses actually started way back in chapter 6 of Hebrews. As the preacher was beginning to, to, to work this, this idea into his, his message for his people, he said that Jesus is the forerunner of our faith. Now, not that kind of forerunner, the next kind. stuck with the Toyota 4Runner? Oh, there we go. This is the 4Runner that he was talking about. Many of you are familiar with the other 4Runner. That's not what Jesus is. Jesus is this guy in the orange, the guy who ran it before us, the guy who knows the way. He is the way, the guy who led it all the way to the resurrection and now all the way to the throne room of God, and he's seated there. He's finished his race, but he's called us to follow him. And to follow his pathway. He went before us into heaven to open up the way for us to follow him. 
This is what our faith is about, following Jesus. We're told in these verses here in Hebrews chapter 12, throw off or strip off everything that hinders and everything that entangles you, tripping you up, slowing you down as you try to run this race with endurance. See, you can't run a race if you're not moving. Some of us, as we get older, we move less and less. When you're younger, you got so much energy, you can't stop moving. You know, you're just all the time. The teachers are saying, stop it, settle down. You know, your parents are saying, stop it, settle down. You know, but as you get older, oh, you just want to rest. You work hard, and then you come home from work, and you just want to flop on the couch. You don't want to move until the next morning when the alarm goes off, and you're going to get up and do it again. As you get older, kids, you'll understand. You get tired. These verses tell us to endure, to persevere, to keep moving. In fact, in verse, uh, in, in verse 14... Just skip with me from these first three verses that we're looking at, right into 12, 14. Make every effort. Put in the effort. And then he begins to describe what the race is like. Because the race isn't a physical race. We're not running, running, running. We're not marathoners. Thank goodness, because some of us would never make it past the parking lot. This is a race of life, of living life in such a way that you are following Jesus' example. So here's, here's a little description of it in verse 14. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone. At peace with people. That's what Jesus did. And be holy. Wow. Holy. That's what Jesus was. For without holiness, no one will see God. Now, that starts to sound like I have to do it, but we know that God already did it in Christ, and it's his holiness or his righteousness which is applied to my life which makes me holy. I cannot be good enough. Believe me, as a pastor, as a child that was born in the church, as a child who knows God's word and knows the good things that I can do and the bad things that I can do, I can't be good enough to be holy without Jesus, and neither can you. This is the beauty of the gift of God's son. He makes us holy. By applying his holiness to my life, I'm holy. I don't know how that works out in God's economy. That's something that we'll find out in eternity. But it's the truth. In God's word, again and again, we're called God's holy people. Set apart for him. God chose you to be holy. And when God asks us to be holy... He's not asking us to do something impossible. God's not like that. He's not cruel. He's not asking me to be six foot 11. I can only be 5'8. Right? He's not saying, Well, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you 6'11? I need you to play basketball. I can't. All right? I'm too short. Right? God, God doesn't give us impossible tasks when he says, I want you to live at peace with other people. That's possible. I want you to be holy. That's possible. I want you to see the Lord. That's possible. Some of you have yet to have a personal experience with Jesus. 
like a face-to-face with God. You're living by faith. You're living by the truth of God's word. You're trying to follow him, but, but your, your time in his presence seems strange, seems empty. Seems like you're talking to the ceiling. God is moving in his church. God is calling us to a deeper walk with him. And God is calling us all to a face-to-face with Jesus so that we can see him clearly. You see, as we read God's word, we are encouraged to see him, to fix our eyes on Jesus. You see, there's some of us who can't see him. We're stuck. We're in this place where we know that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be seeing him. We're supposed to be following him, but we can't see him. Now, continue to read on. I hope you got your Bibles because you need to read them. Verse 15, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See, see that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau. Esau is one of our Old Testament guys, right? Who for one single meal, because he was so hungry, he sold his entire inheritance rights to his oldest brother. I'm sorry, to his younger brother. He's the oldest brother. Afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected because he had sold that blessing. He could bring about no change of mind though he sought the blessing with tears. So this is an Old Testament story. I hope you're familiar with it, but there's two brothers, Jacob and Esau, and Jacob's the younger one, Esau's the older one. In the tradition of passing on the blessing and passing on the inheritance, it went to the oldest brother, and then that brother dispersed it to the rest of the family. He was like the patriarch. He was gonna be the new patriarch when his dad died, right? Esau came in one day. He was just so hungry, 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 hungry. He was hangry. He was so hungry. You ever get so hungry? Like you skipped breakfast, then lunch was so busy you couldn't get to lunch, and then you get home at night and you're so hungry you just start ripping into the food. You start shoving bread in your mouth and you start dipping stuff in everything and just shoving it in. You just can't get it fast enough because you're hungry. This is how Esau was. Esau was hungry. Where to be hungry for God that way. But what happened was the value of his entire inheritance didn't matter anymore because his immediate feeling, his deep need right at that moment was for food. So for a bowl of porridge, he said, yeah, yeah, you can have my inheritance. I don't care. Just give me the food. That's called immediate gratification. You've heard that term. It's a psychological term, but it's like, I just want it now. And I don't want to wait, and I don't want to, you know, have anything get in the way. I need it now. Very American, very modern, very much the way our culture trains us with commercials and with everything else, with credit cards and all that. Immediate gratification. Just get it now. Don't worry about it later. God is not a fan of that. God is a long-term planner. God has a whole plan that's working its way out through history. And during that time of history, our personal history, sometimes we have to wait. We know it's true. We see it by faith, but we haven't received the fulfillment of it until we see him 
face to face. So Esau wasn't, wasn't a fan of that plan. He wanted immediate gratification. And unfortunately, he, he spent it all in one day and he could do nothing about it. Nothing could change that, that covenant that he made. Living for today and forgetting about tomorrow. If we let these things that are mentioned in these verses, these things, I'll go back over them. Sexual immorality, godless thinking, forgetting about God's inheritance, forgetting about God's future, bitterness, missing out on the grace of God, unholiness, fighting. If we let this stuff into our lives, we won't see Christ in those things. If we let these things weigh us down and trip us up, when we're trying to run, it actually describes the, that type of running up above in verse, in verse 13. Actually, in verse 12. Strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. This is about running, right? So he's using the running illustration. If you twist your ankle, you're not able to, to continue the race. Or you run the race, but you run so slowly, you can barely make it. He wants us to run on level paths. And the way to run on level paths is to get rid of the things that are in the way, the things that make you fall, the things that trip you up, the things that get you off and distracted. When you get rid of those things, you can then run on those level paths, those sins, those distractions, when you get them out of the way, those are the things that make you weak. Those are the things that trip you up. They're the things that make you feeble. So the lame may not be spiritually disabled, but rather spiritually healed. Again, we have to go between this, this physical illustration, this image that he's giving us to the spiritual. You can't run your race with your eyes fixed on Jesus and all these other things that want to get in the way. It just doesn't work that way. It's like trying to be focused on something and someone up ahead while you're wearing this on your head. And you can't quite see past the dollars and you can't quite see past yourself and you, you can't quite see past your iPhone and your iPad because you're looking for Jesus, you're trying to find Jesus, but at the same time, you're keeping your eye on the treasures of this world and you're just constantly, constantly losing track of Jesus. It's like he's up ahead and you know how to follow him, but in the meantime, these things are so much closer. They're so much more immediate. You know, the greed of this world, the, the, the beautiful, sparkly things that we all want, that our flesh desires. Or this constant focus on self, you know, like looking in the mirror all the time. Am I okay? Are they going to like me? Is this all right? You know, am I doing it right? Or the wonderful invention of the iPad and the iPhone and the I, I, me, me. It's all about the me, me. Notice they didn't call it the you phone. They called it the iPhone, the me phone. Because it's all about me. Let me check my social media. How many friends do I have on Facebook? I mean, what's going on out there? I need to find out. I, I, I. But at the same time, in my spiritual life, and, and what I know is really true, I'm looking for Jesus. 
but it's hard to look for Jesus with all these other things in the way. I can't see him clearly because my, my glasses are crooked, my, 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 it just doesn't work. If I take this off, oh yeah, I forgot about Barbie. She was in the back. So we got a Barbie here. We got, a, we got this dangly thing here. It's actually, this is a sports trophy. Not that I won, but my son. Sports can take up so much time, right? It can become like, oh, just like a god. I remember walking one day with a Canadian while we were on vacation, this father of these kids, and he was trying to figure me out because I'm a little strange. And... Um, to him especially, but he was asking about God and about church and those things, and they don't go to church. They don't have any, um, I really messed up my mic for that one. <laughs> they don't have any, any kind of spiritual life whatsoever because he said, we're Canadians and sports is our God. We worship sports. We're Canadians. And he was kind of proud of it. And I'm like, that's kind of sad. Um, their marriage didn't last their family was a mess because there's no blessing in that. If you follow after other gods, there's no blessing. God, God can't bless you if you're following after money, if you're following after treasures, if you're following after yourself on Facebook, if you're following after lusts and, and, and other immoral things, the sexually immoral things. Now, I have this one strange thing. You probably can't see it, but it's a root. And as you remember in our passage we have something called the root of bitterness. So I went out and I plucked up a plant and I washed off its roots because it was really muddy yesterday. And I hung it on my hat. All these things and more can get in the way of you seeing Jesus. Of you focusing on his goodness, his grace, his forgiveness, his love, his great commission to take this goodness and bring it to the world. All these other things and more can get in the way. Now we all know about the distractions of sin in a general sense. I'm trying to illustrate the specifics of it. Specifically, sin works its way into our vision, into our sight line. And distracts us from the holiness of God. From following after God with our whole heart. As it says in verse 14. Make every effort. Make every effort. When we try to live at peace. And be holy in our lives. It says we'll see Jesus. Are you trying? Are you making the effort to live at peace with one another? To live at peace with... All men, it says, every, everyone. Are you trying? Or are you one of those? I'm not sure what to call you. But difficult people, how's that? Are you one of those difficult people? You don't, you don't want peace because you like arguing. You like fighting. You were brought up to be scrappy. And even spiritually, you're still scrappy. You know, let's talk about predestination. Let's talk about the gift of tongues. Let's fight about it, all right? If I live a holy life, I'll make every effort to live at peace with all. To live at peace. 
We worship the Prince of Peace, Jesus himself. Our eyes on the Prince of Peace, it's hard to want to fight with each other over dumb things. If we keep our eyes on Jesus, he'll bring the unity we need. He'll bring the direction we need. He'll show us how to get through this path that we're on and to grow spiritually and to be holy. When we keep looking at Jesus and following Jesus throughout our lives, we will run this race as though we're running on level path. Level path. As opposed to up the side of Mount Everest. The, the tough, difficult path. So this, this is encouraging to me because, like I said earlier, like I'm tired. I don't feel like going up Everest right now. Not unless it's God's will, but it sounds like it's God's will for me to, to make level the path for my feet. And to be healed so that I can walk not like a disabled, but someone who's able to walk in holiness and in peace. The way that God intended me to walk. You see, we run this race as though we're running on a level path when we follow Jesus. But when we let all the sins and all the garbage of the world that get in the way, it's a rocky path. It's a dangerous path. It's an unlevel path. There's cliffs on one side and the other of you where you could just fall off and who knows what happens to you. Now we might be saying, I'm making every effort to live at peace with all men. And I'm making every effort to be holy. But I still can't see Jesus. And my path is confusing. See, this is a problem. Because to be followers, we got to see the leader. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, but you can't see Jesus, how is that even possible? What are you following? Your instinct? Your good ideas? Your friends? Politicians? I mean, what are you following? If you can't see Jesus, you're in danger. I want to encourage you to fix your eyes on Jesus. I want to encourage you to pray the little prayer that's the title of this sermon, Jesus, fix my eyes. Fix my eyes because I am too easily drawn to think about and focus on myself. I am too easily drawn to, to focus on other people and their faults. I'm too easily drawn to be envious of those who are wealthy and those who are popular. I want to be them. I don't want to be me. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Jesus, fix our eyes. I want to teach you about just one of these things that's mentioned here in our passage. The root of bitterness that grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Many of you say, like, I, don't, I don't even know what that is. I don't even know what that means. I know lemons are bitter. You know, maybe onions are bitter. I don't know. You know, but what does that even mean? Well, let's just take a minute. See what God can do. Let's read the verse again. And Listen. Listen, see to it that no one, no one, that's including you and me, 
and everybody around us. No one misses the grace of God. Are you missing the grace of God? Either, either towards yourself, you've forgotten about his great love and his great forgiveness and his great ability to make you holy. Or you think the grace of God misses that person and that person and that person. Because in your opinion, they don't deserve it. They're worse than you. They're off their path. Make sure that no one misses the grace of God. This is how you follow Jesus. Stay in his grace. And make sure that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. No one should miss the grace of God. And no bitter roots should grow up in our lives. The idea of a bitter root is important for us to focus on because it, it is under the surface. Some of these sins, they're on the surface. You know what they are. You know when you're lusting. You know when you're envious. You know when you're coveting. Come on, be honest. You do know. But when there's a bitter root, roots are under the surface. I don't know what the roots are. I had to pull that thing up. That was a nice, pretty flower stalk in my garden. I had to pull it up, and I said, oh, that's not much root there. <laughs> it was in a shallow pot. Not much root. But it was under the surface. I didn't know what the root looked like until I pulled it up. So today, by the power of the Spirit, I want to be pulled up. I want us to look. Is there any root of bitterness in us? Because if there is, it causes trouble and defiles many. It's not a personal thing. So often we think our sin is just personal. It's just about me. I'll deal with it. God's dealing with me. No problem. No, no, no. A bitter root spreads, defiles many. It's hidden. It's in the darkness. See, a tree is nourished by its roots. And roots are super important to plants. In fact, other than the tumbleweed, I think, they all got roots. And I think the tumbleweed's probably dead. So here's the thing. Roots are so important. If we have a root of bitterness, God wants us to deal with it. Because it affects the way that we live our lives. And it affects the fruitfulness of our lives. We are called to bear fruit. For Jesus. We're not just supposed to be, you know, petrified trees in the, in the petrified forest, right? Dead trees. Oh, look at that dead tree. Isn't it lovely? There's no fruit on that tree. There's no leaves on that tree. There's no nothing coming from that tree. The tree has no life in it. It's still a tree, but there's no fruit. Jesus has come to give us life and to give it abundantly. And we are to produce fruit for him. And many of us, including me, are not producing too well lately. And we need to examine ourselves and look under the surface by the power of God's word and his spirit and pull up any roots that no longer belong in the holy people of God. We got to do the work. We got to make every effort. See, we want to be fruitful. And just as a tree grows according to what the root sends up into the tree, so we grow according to what our roots set, send up into our spirit. So where are your roots, people? Where are they? And what are they sending you? 
Because if they're sending you bitterness or negativity or anger or defensiveness or depression, they are not good roots. That would be called bitter. That would be called something that doesn't bring fruit, at least good fruit. And often when we talk about these things, we get all uncomfortable and we just want to shove it all down and forget about it and say, well, you know, that's, that, let's not talk about that. I'm not comfortable with that. The problem with that is the roots keep growing and they go deeper and they send up more of that into our lives. And we can put on our little smiley face, church face, but the bitterness is in there. It's in there. And I know it's in me and I know it's in you. You know why? Because we've all been hurt. We've all been offended. We've all been treated disrespectfully by people. All of us. It's part of the human experience. We don't get to live in a bubble. We got to live with real people. And real people sometimes are nasty. They cut you off in traffic. They step in front of you in the coffee line at Dunkin' Donuts. They don't even pay attention to you when you need the attention, you think. There's all this stuff that, that sends these negative ideas, seeds, towards us. We could go to Ephesians 6 and call them fiery darts if we want to. But every day, someone is offensive. Someone is rude. Because we live in a broken world, in a broken society. And honestly, I don't know why God just doesn't wipe us all out. Except for Jesus and his great love for us. And his forgiveness and his grace and his mercy, which is new every morning. Because we must wear it out every day. And we need a new batch every morning. I don't know, but it's new every morning. So this root of bitterness, I want us to dig down and get it out. I don't want us to be like the people who just pick the dandelions. You know why? Because you pick the dandelion, the flower, and the root goes deeper. And then you try to cut it off with your lawnmower, and the root goes deeper. The only way to get the dandelion root out is either poison it or get one of those like long sticky things that goes way down and it like gets to the bottom of the root and then it pops it out. You ever do that? Probably not. Y'all got, la- got lawn service, I know. Anyway, I have come to believe that bitterness is one of Satan's best tools to weigh us down and trip us up and keep us from running our race for Jesus. I think it's bitterness. I honestly do. Bitterness that, that defiles many. It defiles many. What that means, the word defile, we don't use it too often, but it basically it violates us. It scars us. It hurts us. It spoils us. Those are synonyms for defiling. It damages us. Jesus has come to heal us. Look at that verse. I love it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees and make level the paths of your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather be healed. We don't live in bitterness and anger and resentment and unforgiveness. We live in God's grace and mercy and it heals us. Not only does it mess us up on the inside, but it defiles many. 
Satan uses this to destroy. This is why it's one of his favorite tools. Because what he can do with it is destroy. Destroy relationships. Destroy families. Destroy churches. Destroy nations. If we let bitterness root itself in our soul. Usually bitterness begins with just a hurt or an offense, but then we look for more hurt. We look for more offense. Pretty soon, we can't even see that person as anything other than their offense, and they offend us. And then what we do, it's two different ways. We fight or flight. Some just, fight, fight, fight. Never will agree with that person. The sky is blue. No, it's not. The sky is gray. Okay, the sky is gray. No, it's not. The sky is pink. Oh, okay. You know, I mean, it, it just, we're going to fight about everything because that person has offended us and hurt us. So we will never let them win. Right? So that's one way to deal with it. The other is just avoid that person altogether. This is my favorite. Just, just avoid. Just avoid. Just, uh, I, I want to live at peace, so I'm never going to speak to that person again because whenever I speak to them, I have no peace. That is not the Jesus way, just in case. You, I, I, I am a sinner like you, right? Just in case you didn't know that, that's not the Jesus way. We are to apply God's grace to every hurt and every offense, and that's work, and it takes lots of effort, but in the long run, it produces good fruit, and it produces fruit of righteousness and holiness. Because Missing the grace of God is no small thing for God. He paid for that grace. He wants you to have it, and he wants you to share it with others. And the root of bitterness keeps us from doing it. Because I got, I got no love for that person. What do I care about their eternal destination? Unless I understand what God has done for me and bathe myself in God's grace and God's mercy and God's love and let it transform me from the inside out, I don't care. And that is not like Christ. Christ on the cross in Luke chapter 23 He looked down from the cross on the people who put him there, on the soldiers, on the the others who were gathering around, the Pharisees. He looked down. They had physically beaten him. They had humiliated him. They had nailed him to a cross, which is a curse in their culture. And I bet Satan was reminding him of the rejection and the pain that they caused, the betrayal of Judas. But Jesus chose to forgive. How do we know? Because it says in Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know that they're crucifying God, the Son of God. They don't even understand. That's grace. That's grace when you have all the power in the universe and you could just smash those people. That's grace. That's grace. So before we leave this place today, close your eyes. Close your eyes. And in your spirit, 
Look full in the face of Jesus. Fix your eyes on his face as he looks from that cross on you and on me and on all of humanity. Fix your eyes on the love that he has for you. On the forgiveness that he freely gives to you. And the joy that you have because you understand that. You know you're forgiven. You know you are deeply loved. Warts and all. Faults and all. Sins and all. He still did that for you. And now, keep your eyes closed. Think. Is there anyone in your life who you are holding bitterness against right now? It's really easy to recall the things that they've said or done to you. The things that hurt you or offended you. You can't think of anything good about that person anymore. You have problems even being in the same room with them. Maybe this room isn't even big enough to be in the same room with them. All you see is their faults. And then listen to the words of Jesus. Matthew 6, 14 says, For if you forgive men the sins that they have sinned against you, then your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Now you may know 15, verse 15, because he just flips it and says, But if you don't forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly father will not forgive you. So open your eyes. Let's do something about this. I think when we choose to let bitterness grow in our lives, it's like we've, we've got a permission slip for Satan. And on the permission slip, it says, Dear Satan, I give you permission today to enter into my life to make me angry and resentful and nasty towards that person. And we keep writing permission slips. We give them to Satan and we say, Yeah, yeah, because that was nasty. I'm not going to forgive her or him. How dare they? How dare they do that to me? And we got all these permission slips. We've signed them all. You got to sign them on which date they offended you. You put your signature and you say, okay, Satan, here's some permission. You can cause division in my family. You can cause division in my church. You can cause division even in me. I give you permission. Now, why on earth would we do that? Why? I think the root of it is pride. All of us. I think sin comes from pride. You know, we think we should be, you know, we have all these things inside of us. We, we've been hurt and our pride is hurt. What I want you to do if you, like me, you know that there is a root of bitterness somewhere in you, I want you to come up here and get one of these permission slips 
and I want you to rip it up and put it in this vase right here. I want you to repent. I want you to get rid of that bitterness because it's good for you and it's good for the body of Christ and it's good for the kingdom of God and it's even good for the lost who haven't heard about the good grace of God. Now, if you need someone to come and get a permission slip for you and you're brave enough, you just ask the person, can you go down there and get me a couple of those permission slips? There's plenty for everybody, believe me. Even you in the balcony, I know it's a long walk and you've been resting a long time. Get down here. I don't think there's probably a person alive in this room who doesn't have at least a tiny root of bitterness towards someone. So we're going to sing this song, and that's already starting here. We're going to sing this song. We're going to get this thing. We're going to rip up the permission that we've given Satan to be in our lives. And we're going to ask God to fix us and fix our eyes on Jesus. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. Let's sing. Let's sing. Let's sing. Let's sing. Let's sing. Let's sing. Let's sing.